This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Are you worried about your teen's mental health? We have talked a lot here on On Boys about mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, suicide prevention. If you think that your teen might benefit from some professional support, go to teencounseling.com slash teenboys. Teen Counseling connects your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor, and all counseling sessions are done via video conferencing or the phone. Your teen can even text when they need extra support. And the best part, with teen counseling, you have access to expertise that might not be available locally. You can choose a gay therapist, for instance, or a person of color. On Boys listeners can get 10% off their first month. Sign up at teencounseling.com slash teenboys. Merriam-Webster the dictionary people, declared they the 2019 word of the year. The word, of course, has been around for a very long time, but now there is increasing recognition of the fact that gender is not strictly binary, male or female. Many people who identify as non-binary or gender non-conforming use they rather than him or her. Now, if you are feeling a little confused or overwhelmed or you're shaking your head right now, hang in there. With us today to help us explore these shifts in language and in culture and in what they mean for us as parents raising children is Dr. Alex Ian Taffy, co-author of How to Understand Your Gender and Life Isn't Binary. Welcome, Alex. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so delighted that this is happening and it's so wonderful to have this conversation with you both. Alex is also a parent and mm -hmm. a licensed counselor. Tell us about um, parenting. You have at least one teenager, I know. Yes, I, I have two kids. One is uh, my bio kid and one is a stepchild. So we are a blended family. Uh, my oldest child is 16 and a senior in high school. And my youngest is nine years old and is in fourth grade. And I imagine that you are all having great fun together in the house at this moment. Sure. I mean, <laughs> what could be better than three adults working from home, two children being homeschooled, two dogs? I mean, it's surely it's a recipe for family bliss, right? I mean, nothing could go possibly wrong with this picture. <laughs> we keep it real here on On Boys. And this is what I'm talking about. You know, you if you're listening and you're confused by he, she, they, them, uh, cisgender, non-binary, what does it all mean? In the end, we are all humans trying to figure out how to get along with the other humans, most of them in our house right now and, you know, the others out there in the world. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and it's such a, a unique time at the moment, right? I feel so grateful that we have quite a spacious place to all be together on a more serious note, but it is really challenging. You know, I am a family therapist and I'm working from home and, you know, I'm taking over the upper floor of the mm -hmm. house, even though the doors are closed and sound machines are going and I have my headphones for, you know, maintaining confidentiality. Like sometimes things happen, you know, I heard the tumbling down the stairs during a session and I had to be like, excuse me, I just have to go see that my child is alive, you know, and, <laughs> and as, I'm, as I'm, you know, walking towards the stairs, I hear this little voice going, I'm okay, don't worry, Aww. you know, because, um, so life is very real right now. And that kind it. of, you know, division of like, professional and personal is getting very blared, even for those of us who have very uh, strict and strong ethical boundaries, we're still doing the best we can mm -hmm. in this situation, you know, mm -hmm. especially as parents, it's so challenging. Yeah. Let's dig into language a little bit. I know that you have been an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community for a long time. And if somebody is a part of that community, they know these terms. If somebody did not grow up in this community or, you know, grew up 30 years ago, a lot of these terms are kind of confusing. So what do parents need to know? Explain some basic terms for us. Yeah, sure. I can do that. And, and I can understand how if you're not part of the LGBTQ community, things can feel really confusing. You know, and, and it can be disorienting. It's like a new language, a new culture. You know, it's like if you go to a different country, you need to take a minute to take it in. So hopefully it's just like that. I think that some of the basic terms are like the acronyms, right? So you might see LGBTQ or LGBTQ plus or LGBTQIA or LGBTQ2S. What does that all mean? So those are just acronyms, which means they're kind of initials that are put together to form a word. And they stand usually for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, or the Q could also stand for questioning. The I is for intersex. The A is for ally. The plus is for any other gender identities and or sexual orientations that are not included in those terms. And when you see the 2S, which is also becoming increasingly common, especially in Canada, that just stands for two-spirit, which is specific to kind of indigenous and native folks mm. to indicate mm. something that's actually kind of outside of how we tend to think about gender and sexuality. Um, and so that's a specific kind of pan-indigenous term. One of the things that can be confusing is that in those acronyms like LGBTQ, LGBTQ+, and so on, um, there's both gender and sexuality kind of identities that are in there. And sometimes people really struggle uh, with separating gender from sexuality. So I really want to speak to that, that, for example, you know, trans and non-binary, it's really about gender identity, whereas lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, pansexual, fluid, and so on, uh, well, fluid can apply to both, actually, gender and sexuality. But those other terms are more about sexuality and sexual orientation. And so sometimes people conflate the two, so put the gender and sexuality pieces together. But those are two separate pieces. And in fact, it's even a little bit more complicated than that in that gender has different components, right? One piece is gender identity. So for example, I identify as somebody who is trans and non-binary. Those are both gender identities. People can have more than one gender identity. 
Um, and trans is just a prefix from the Latin, which means a cross, which means my um, sex assigned at birth does not align with my gender identity, whereas cis, C-I-S, it's also a Latin prefix and just means on the same side. So it means that somebody's mm. sex assigned at birth is on the same side, so it aligns with their gender identity. So it's kind of pretty simple. So I could use yeah. and can yeah. use the word cisgender to describe mm -hmm. myself because I was identified at birth as female and I still identify as female. That is how I've always felt. That's how I still feel cisgender. Correct. The term cisgender was born really to indicate that all of us have a gender identity and have a relationship with our sex assigned at birth. And so to make sure that we moved away from this model where there were trans people and then everybody else's gender, um, mm. you know, it was a way to indicate we all have a gender, we all have a relationship with our sex assigned at birth. Um, and so how can we find words that are fairly neutral? I think, you know, those uh, Latin prefixes are mostly used in science, you know, so it made sense to use something that was on the same side as and or on a different mm -hmm. side than mm -hmm. what you were assigned at birth. You know, mm -hmm. so often uh, people who are in the majority or the culture that is in power, whether or not they are the majority, you don't think about it. It's just normal to you. Yes. And so for a lot of parents raising children today, this whole idea that gender is something that you, know, you think about it, you, you can have a choice in that, that th it throws a lot of people off. And I've shared this with, with Janet. I live in Wisconsin, Midwest, rural, mm -hmm. very red area. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't, get this. It seems like a very foreign concept to them. And, you know, what you alluded to before, indigenous, these, these things have been around, but we haven't talked mm -hmm. about them. So can you help parents who may feel like, come on, really, a kid can choose their gender? Absolutely. I can talk to that. And I'm, all, I'm also living in the Midwest, although you might tell from Max and that I'm not originally from Minnesota, <laughs> even though I love Minnesota. So I'm living on Dakota Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and yes, you know, like for a lot of parents, this is a struggle. I know that some parents have said things like, you know, I feel like it's the internet, TikTok now, or whatever social media the kids are using nowadays has made my child trans. But the reality, just like you said, is that Gender expansion, let's call it, or gender diversity has always existed, or gender creativity, right? Across time and space, uh, indigenous, many indigenous tribes add a variety of words, actually, to indicate gender identity, much more than, many more than two words. And um, one of the best sources of evidence we have around the existence of gender creativity across time is from history and anthropology, we find the gender diversity across the globe, across time. For example, in the area where I come from, the Mediterranean, the Phrygian goddess Cibele was very popular and her priestesses, the Galli, were often assigned male at birth but would dress in more feminine ways. 
that would have ecstatic ritual where they also participated in body modification. So those feelings, those identities, those experiences are not new. But at some point in modern science, we have developed this idea of a gender binary. And now we think that that's normal and natural. Mm. But actually in nature, there are more than two genders too. Mm -hmm. And uh, reproduction actually doesn't always work in a binary way. So even when we look at uh, nature, actually gender isn't binary and sex isn't binary either because intersex people exist. And actually very few of us know our chromosomal makeup, Mm -hmm. right? And so (laughs) we are assigning sex at birth based on kind of genital appearance. But actually, if we looked at chromosomal makeup, many people might be surprised that um, their chromosomal makeup might not strictly be that of their sex assigned at birth, for example. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so interesting. I love bringing that historical perspective into it. And bottom line here today, meet people where they are, love them where they are. And I'm curious, I'd love to kind of bring it into someone's living room and someone's house. And it may be a parent who is seeing their child struggle Mm -hmm. and could be still a small child, or it might be a child who's parent hasn't tapped into, hey, something's going on here. Can you talk about like, okay, what what if this, there's some, maybe it's discomfort, maybe it's just questioning Mm -hmm. in a family and how, how does a parent open up that conversation and support their child who might be questioning or who it's really clear that they're non-binary and Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking like in the family home, but then, okay, then how do you talk to grandma and grandpa about that? So I know that it's very challenging for many families if they've never been exposed to kind of broader gender diversity. And so one of the things I would do is kind of just reassure parents, you know, it is disorienting if you don't know trans and or non-binary folks to figure out what's happening with your kid if they're not falling into the stereotype of masculinity and femininity that we might expect when we have a child. So first of all, just because your child might not behave in what we define as stereotypically masculine or feminine ways, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're trans and or non-binary. So that's something that's really important, especially for parents of young children, because young children might not yet have the language. And so often parents observe behavior and might draw their own conclusions. So it's really important to remember that gender identity and gender expressions are two different things. And what I mean by gender expression is the way we talk, the way we move, the way we behave. So for example, if somebody who's assigned male at birth and uh, their family is looking at them as a little boy likes princess dresses or pink or swirling around the living room, Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that that child is trans and or non-binary. So first of all, kind of not to draw that conclusion for the child themselves. Gender identity is much more about a sense of who we are. And what we know from psychology is that actually children develop a sense of their own gender identity pretty early on. You know, around three to six years old, Mm -hmm. children understand, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a boy. Like we don't Mm -hmm. question that for cisgender children, right? You know, when cisgender children tell us I'm a girl or I'm a boy, we don't say, well, are you sure? Have you really thought about this? Right. 
But when a child is maybe trans and or non-binary and they say things like, I'm a girl and they were assigned male at birth or I'm a boy and they were assigned female at birth or I'm a boy and a girl, often parents correct them. So the first thing I would say is don't correct your child if you can. Take a deep breath, even if this might be a surprise to you. And be curious, you know, as a family therapist, one of the best tools we have at our disposal is curiosity. So get curious about um, what our, your child means. You can say, oh, tell me more about that. You know, so rather than kind of going to this place, oh, no, it's okay, you're a girl, but girl can do everything that a boy can, right? Right. Mm. Which is true, absolutely. You know, like my oldest is a girl and she's a cisgender girl and I very much brought her up around a lot of girl power. Wonderful. But if a child is telling you something else, listen, right? And, and that's such a hard thing to do as parents sometimes uh, when we are hearing something we may not want to hear, to be completely honest. So, you know, this might come as a surprise to people or it might be something that they're worried about. But listen to your kid, ask questions. Well, what do you mean? Uh, who do you think you're going to grow up to be? So kids do know pretty early on. Kids also understand if something is safe or not safe to say in their house. Mm. So sometimes parents say, this has come very suddenly. This is a surprise. Uh, I had no clue. You know, you were a stereotypical girl or you were a stereotypical boy. And now all of a sudden at 12, 13, usually around the middle school years or the high school years, boom, this thing gets dropped in the household. And all of a sudden you're trans and non-binary. The reality is that probably that child has been agonizing over this and questioning and trying to figure things out for years. Mm -hmm. But to you, this looks really fast. And so this is, I've seen this again and again in the family therapy room, working with trans youth and their family. You know, the child has been thinking about this for a long time, that feelings about this for a long time, but they knew that somehow this wasn't okay to say. Now, it doesn't mean that the household was unsafe necessarily, but they got this message that the way they felt wasn't quite normal in air quotes that is not how they were supposed to feel and so they might have been keeping it inside until they could no longer keep it inside themselves mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely it does and i wanted to ask you a little bit more about that because as a cisgender human growing up in a heteronormative society meaning that heterosexual relationships tend to be the norm you know so many of us as parents when our kids are young use language that could be alienating and sending those messages to our children. You know, we talk, we say to our young boys, you know, about your wife in the future. And we ask them, you know, do you have a girlfriend yet? Most of us just revert to that without any thought. Can you give us some examples of things that parents may say that can inadvertently send those messages to the children and maybe how can we tweak our language instead to be a little more inclusive and communicate that acceptance first of all also reassuring parents that that is very common you know we're all um immersed in dominant culture so we take it in like the air we breathe and so even though those things might limit your children it's not like you're doing it on purpose you know i truly believe 
that uh, most parents really love their children and nobody hurts their children intentionally. And yet sometimes we harm our children without realizing, right? And I, I so think appreciate that, that. I really, really do. Right. Could you say that again? <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's like one of the things I always say in family therapy, right? Nobody hurts their kids out of the desire to harm them. Often we do it out of love, right? We want to protect yes. our children. Mm-hmm. We worry about our children. But also sometimes we just don't know things. So we're doing Mm -hmm. things the way, you know, we parent the way we were parented. We talk to our children the way we were talked to. And uh, we don't even think about those things. So it's really important for parents to be really self-compassionate and forgiving. It's okay. Just talk to your child. Talk about those mistakes that you feel you've made. Or just, you know, those missteps. I wouldn't even call them mistakes. It's just things that you didn't know until you knew them, right? Mm-hmm. So things that, for example, we might say to our kids, are exactly the examples you gave, but also kind of the different words we use, right? What a handsome boy, what a pretty girl. There have been studies that have shown that actually bias towards gender starts really, really early on from when children are babies. And one of, one of the things I actually have written about in How to Understand Your Gender is that when uh, my oldest, uh, my bio kid, was a baby, one of the things that I did was not correct other people depending on what gender they thought she was. So if they would be like, oh, look, what a strong boy, because honestly, I dress my child in a lot of hand-me-downs. That's, I was an academic, didn't have a lot of money. I was a young <laughs> academic. So I had a lot of hand-me-downs and that's why I dressed my kid in. And so if she was dressed in more boys' clothes as a toddler, people be like, look at that strong boy, what's his name? And I would give a shortened version of her name, which is more gender neutral, and see how people would react. And then if she was wearing a dress, I would be like, look at that pretty girl, you know, and really noticing how the same baby, the same toddler could provoke such different reaction in people mm-hmm. just based on her clothes, honestly. Yeah. And if people are worrying that that was confusing to my kid, it was not confusing at all. And but at the time when she was three years old, she knew exactly what she wanted to wear. And it was all dresses all the time. And it wasn't until we moved to Minnesota and winter hit and it was really <laughs> cold that she gave in to pants again yeah. two years later. So, you know, children know who they are. So just being exposed to a broader range of gender identities doesn't confuse our kids, first of all. So, so Alex, something something that you said I want to pull out because I know that it has come up for parents that I have worked with, and that is this dilemma of my son is going into first grade and he's always loved to wear pink sparkly shoes and, you know, ballerina skirts. And now he's going out into the larger world and he's with peers. And I, as the parent, feel like I need to protect him. How do I, as the parent, allow that child to be themselves and express however they want to, knowing they're going out into the wide world and they're going to get criticized, ostracized, made fun of all the things. How do you advise parents to keep their child in that place of self-expression and knowing it's going to hurt? So, you know, that good old cliche that once you have a child, it's like your heart is walking outside your chest, you know, and it it feels terrible. That is so true. I really experienced that as a parent. And uh, 
I completely understand the desire to want to protect our children. And the reality is that part of children growing up is children experiencing life for themselves. Now, it doesn't mean we have to like just throw them out there unprepared, right? The best thing we can do as parents is have a conversation which is age appropriate. So if I was dealing with like a five or a six-year-old, I would have conversation such as like, I know you love that dress and uh, that's great. Now, some other families might have different ideas about boys and girls. We think that you can wear anything and um, you know, put on nail polish and light, play with any toys. Some families don't think that. So some children might tease you. How do you think you would feel if children tease you? Mm-hmm. And if the child says, I don't care, I want to do this, let the child have that experience. You can also have a conversation with the preschool or the school. And hopefully, I think educators are much more aware of how important it is to let children express themselves. Um, because honestly, around four or five, all kids love pink, regardless of gender. Some might hide it, but there's something very attractive about this color to younger children. And so sometimes uh, children will have a negative experience, but if you've had that conversation, and then if you have a dialogue, how did it go at school today when you wore that dress? What did people say? How are you feeling? Or if you notice that maybe they're more withdrawn or they don't want to talk or they're clingy or sad, ask the educators what has happened today Mm -hmm. in school and keep having those conversations because if the child continues to uh, want to express themselves in a way that is not uh, normative, let's call it, so not within normative culture, they will need to learn how to develop resilience in the face of discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning earlier and having parental support is the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, sure, what peers say matter, but people can find their own peers, especially as they get older. And honestly, mm-hmm. Generation Z, it's a whole different ball game. You know, those kids are just, you know, we are projecting onto our kids our own experience of school, our own generation. You know, I'm almost 50. It's a completely different generation than my 16-year-old or my nine-years-old, right? You know, kids nowadays are like, oh, your pronouns are they, them, great, no big deal. You know, or, oh, you have a different name. What's your pronoun? Mm -hmm. They, you know, most of the time don't even think about it unless um, there are very specific views in the household. So also being really aware that sometimes we're projecting our own experiences, our own experiences of being bullied. Many people have experienced uh, being teased at school, being bullied, even if you're not trans, maybe because you wore glasses, maybe because you were poor and didn't have the right genes, right? Or maybe because you were fat, whatever it is that people think wasn't okay about you, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, what we know is that how the family then deals with it, how the educational system deals with it, it's really important, right? the biggest protective factor for trans and non-binary kids is family support. Mm -hmm. So as long as the family gives the message of, um, you know, you are perfect just the way you are, just that good old, um, you know, um, 
um, message of, was it Mr. Robinson here in the U.S. or something? I saw It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mr. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, that's the one. Sorry, I wasn't brought up in the U.S. <laughs> I finally saw the documentary about It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and I was like, oh, that's a great message. I mean, I also learned a lot about Mr. Rogers, and I was like, isn't this fascinating? But it was really radical for the time, right? It and was, of like, you are perfect just the way you are. Yeah. You don't have to do anything special to be loved. Mm-hmm. That message is really essential to tra- trans and non-binary children because they're going to get the opposite message from many people in the world, right? There's yeah. something wrong with you. This is not okay. But if the main caregiver give the message, you're perfect, you're loved, uh, there's nothing wrong with you, that is what's going to make your child strong and resilient uh, in the face of whatever it is to come. And know that your trans and non-binary child can thrive. One of the fears that parents have is my child is going to be bullied. My child is not going to find work. My child is not going to find love or Mm -hmm. people who accept them. But the reality is that uh, many trans and non-binary people have thriving, loving lives. You know, mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of community out there. Um, the world is changing. There are plenty of accepting employers. Um, you know, people, it, we are lovable. And I think that's an important thing to tell parents. So many times I've seen parents be so scared, you know, who's going to love my child? Who's going to accept my child? It starts with us, the parents. Yes. If we love and accept our children, then they will know that they're worthy of love. They will not put up with um, abusive behaviors. They will not put up mm-hmm. with oppressive behaviors because we have taught them that they're inherently lovable and worthy. And so they will walk in the world as lovable and worthy people, which is you know, the birthright of any child, no matter what their gender identity Am I making sense? Oh, my heart is melting, Alex. Oh. A challenge for so many LGBTQ plus um, children and families is, yes, the world is big. And yes, people find people and community. But when you are stuck in your high school and this is your world and you are the one or maybe one of a few who don't fit in, that can be so difficult and you know something as simple as Mm -hmm. dating uh becomes really challenging what can parents and families do to help children navigate that reality i would say that a lot of the responsibility is with us adults right one of the most heartbreaking statistics for me when it comes to trans and non-binary youth is that, and actually LGBTQ youth in general, is that they experience harassment, including sexual harassment in school, not just by their peers, but from other adults. That's what, let's take a moment to take that in. Adults are bullying and harassing, including sexually harassing children, just for being LGBTQ, right? That's heartbreaking. And often what happens is that then the child gets blamed for who they are because of their harassment. For example, you know, I was a child who was assigned male birth and had really long hair, got harassed in the bathroom and was basically told by a social worker that it was their fault for having long hair. 
what would they expect, right? That is not the message we want to give our children. It is being treated exactly like a girl, I hate to say. Exactly, right? So the message we want to, exactly, right? And that's not okay for anybody, right? It's not okay, not okay. Exactly. And of course, I think that all of us are folks who were assigned female at birth. We know that harassment, even from adults, sadly, even in schools, right? Even from teachers or other adult staff. So first of all, we need to stop doing that. And as parents, we can advocate in the school system. If that's happening, that's absolutely not acceptable. If that has to be escalated, you know, and sometimes it can be a lot to be a parent of an LGBTQ child because it means becoming an advocate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us parents don't know how to be advocates. And thankfully, you know, with the internet and community, there can be other parents that can support you in learning how to be an advocate for your child. So there is an element of just making sure that you're loving and accepting your child, having conversations with your child about what's happening in school, but also advocating in the school system to make sure that other adults are showing up as adults in the way they need to as supportive of your children. And if they're not, that you demand education in school, that you demand resources, and that you put in complaints if things are really not okay. You know, if harassment, especially sexual harassment is happening to children, that has to be unacceptable, no matter what the gender or sexuality of the child, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Now, when it comes to peers and dating, that is always tricky. I mean, who hasn't found dating tricky? I don't know about you all, but relationships are one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. You know, whether I was like in elementary school and had a crush on somebody or in high school or uh, as a 49 years old person, relationships are still one of the hardest things I do every day. So one of the things we teach our children is relationships can be challenging. They take work. How do you know if you can trust somebody or not? What does it mean to trust somebody, right? Brené Brown has got that beautiful analogy of um, the jar where every time the somebody does somebody something trustworthy, it's like a marble in the jar. Mm-hmm. And then people can also do things that take the marble out. And of course, people can do things like throw the old jar to the floor and the marbles are everywhere and trust is destroyed if it's a big betrayal. So we teach our children, how do we know who we can trust? What does it mean to date somebody? It's also building trust, building relationship. And when it comes to trans and non-binary children, we need to teach them that it's not okay to take abuse. If somebody's using your gender or your sexuality against you, that is not okay. I will always be like 100% behind you as a parent. Mm -hmm. That is not acceptable. If somebody's treating you in a way that feels disrespectful, that is not a relationship worth having. There will be other people And maybe if you're in a small town and you think that's all you have, that is not the whole world. Also Mm -hmm. reminding our children that if they don't feel accepted where they are, there is a whole bigger world out there where they can build relationships. Even in small towns, usually people can find a few folks that they can trust, that they can build relationship with, right? And parents also with other families. And I I think also thanks to the internet, there can be so much more connection, right? There is support online. I mean, at the moment, we're all online anyway. And actually, this has been a big relief for a lot of trans and non-binary kids who might not want to be in, you know, uh, interacting with their peers. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for some of them, this is a relief. 
for some folks, this is also a time to experiment with their gender and see what's comfortable uh, for them. And, and that's the other thing that I would say to parents, don't be afraid to let your child experiment. Childhood, all the way up to the teenage years and early adulthood, you know, early 20s, it's a time to figure out who you are, right? We went through that. I don't know about you, but I wore lots of different things in the 80s and 90s. So, <laughs> right? Trans and non-binary kids are not going to be any different. They need to figure out who they are and what they feel comfortable in and what they want to wear and and all of that. So if you see that going on, it's really not that different than uh, what a lot of other kids are doing. So I know that can be that anxiety of, oh my God, you're going to go out like that and people are going to say things to you. I mean, I have that anxiety with my kid who's a cis girl as well. I'm going, oh, and I have to take a deep breath <laughs> and go, I've taught her about the patriarchy and misogyny and she's strong and, and she has to be out there and live her life. I don't mm -hmm. want her to feel that what she's wearing impacts the way she's treated by other people because that's not how it should work for any of us, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. much of this all comes back to always take a deep breath, keep the lines of conversation open, be curious, love your kid. Those yeah. are four general parenting rules that apply in every single situation. And if you make a mistake, own up to it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to make it better. You know, when my kid, my bio kid started being a little bit older, I, even I started saying things like, oh, do you have a crush on that boy? And she looks at me and she's like, you're doing that thing, the compulsive thing. And I was like, what am I? Oh, the compulsive heteronormativity. She's like, yes, you didn't, you don't ask me the same question when I'm hanging, hanging out with my girlfriends. Why are you assuming that there is like a romantic interest because somebody is of the other gender? And I was like, oh my God, I, <laughs> I am so sorry. You know, and I'm like immersed in this, you know, and, and I have her consent for the stories that I share, by the way. And um, I was so embarrassed and I said, you are right. You know, I am doing this thing. Or she noticed that I compliment her on her appearance more than I compliment her brother. And she's like, you're do that is misogynistic. And I was like, you are absolutely right. <laughs> uh, that is misogynistic yeah. and I need to stop doing it. And thank you so much for pointing that out to me. Um, and I will do better. Now I know better, I will do better. Thank yeah. you for noticing that. That's so, so reassuring. You know, right? we, we are going to mess up. And even you, who's the expert, oh. going to mess up. And it's Absolutely. okay. It's yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm almost 50. I was brought up with the same thing too, you know? And it's like, um, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Take a deep breath, apologize, <laughs> do better, know better, do better. Mm -hmm. That's all we yeah, yeah. Alex, you mentioned resources that are available for families and children, and I'm hoping that you will send us some links that we will include in our show notes because people who need resources, I want to make it easy for them to find that. Absolutely. I will send you some links and um, to some resources. And also there are so many great books now out there, even for really young children, especially I have to say my publisher, Jessica Kingsley, as, as a old gender diversity list. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I think we might have to have part two. Where can people find you? 
Uh, my website is alexiantafi.com, which so it's my name and surname. My clinical practice has a separate website, and I'm, I'm at the moment I'm at capacity for clients, but I have some wonderful supervisees who also see clients. So if people are in Minnesota and want clinical support, I'll, I'll send the link to my clinical practice as well. Great, great. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, and your heart with us today, Alex. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And yes, please, I would love to come back again. And I'd love to have you on my podcast, Gender Stories. That's a resource. Lots of links at onboyspodcast.com. You can find all of those there. Alex, thank you so much for being with us. God, you're so welcome. Thank you for your time. And thank you for this work. I think your podcast is wonderful. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Are you worried about your teen's mental health? We have talked a lot here on On Boys about mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, suicide prevention. If you think that your teen might benefit from some professional support, go to teencounseling.com slash teenboys. Teen Counseling connects your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor, and all counseling sessions are done via video conferencing or the phone. Your teen can even text when they need extra support. And the best part? With Teen Counseling, you have access to expertise that might not be available locally. You can choose a gay therapist, for instance, or a person of color. On Boys listeners can get 10% off their first month. Sign up at teencounseling.com slash teenboys. Thanks for joining On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Ah,